And here we are. We are together again for yet another edition of Observations. Observations hosted by me, Rob, Rob Liefeld. Uh, I talk comics. I talk pop culture. I love comics. I have to let you know each and every time at the top of every Observations that comic books is my everything. My kids have been taught. What does dad love? After his family, they, they know the answer. Dad loves his comic books. I love my comic books. I have two spinner racks in my house. Uh, I have tons more comics than probably my family would prefer. I have bookshelves upon bookshelves upon bookshelves upon bookshelves upon bookshelves of trade paperbacks, omnibuses, absolute editions, uh, hardcovers, uh, just all sorts of great um, collections of comic books. Comic books have defined so much of my life. They gave me my career. Uh, if you have followed me at all, I did Hawk and Dove. I did New Mutants. I did X-Force. I did Youngblood. I did Brigade. I did Bloodstrike. I did Blood Wolf. All the Blood titles. I did Captain America and the Avengers. I uh, I did Fighting American. And I did Rejects. And I've done Wolverine. I've done Deadpool. Deadpool Core. Lady Deadpool. All the Deadpool. Cable. So much. Right now, I'm doing G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes. I hope you seek it out. I hope you enjoy it. I love comics. I love the language of comics, the storytelling, the page design, the drawing of figures and big bad bad guys, bold bad guys. But we have been going down the Heroes Reborn uh, shoot, uh, re 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 remembering all that came together and came undone uh, during this period, which from agreement to pursue this to um, kind of it being published and then unraveling is probably a two and a half year process for me and everybody that was um, involved, especially involved from my team, from Jim Lee's team. The desire to do Heroes Reborn was from a, uh, you know, approach that Marvel had to reboot and to uh, relaunch their most storied icons, which had fallen on hard times. We've covered this before, but in case you're new, Captain America, created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, The Avengers, uh, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, all were the cornerstones of the early Marvel Universe. They were the books that defined the early Marvel age, and they had all fallen on hard times in the mid-90s as uh, Image Comics blew up, and as X-Men became the focus of all things at Marvel, and Spider-Man was right there besides it. The idea was to give a new, fresh uh, coat of paint to these characters, make them appealing to uh, the youth of that period who clearly weren't buying them. The sales on these books were in the twenty to 30,000 range, very poor, uh, very poorly received, uh, lo lowest um, kind of possible chart uh, uh, chart positioning for these books. I mean, Ghost Rider, Punisher was all, these books were all outselling Captain America, Avengers, Fantastic Four. So they, they hired myself and Jim Lee, two top, uh, selling creators. We, we had their number one and two books and continue to this day to have Marvel's top two selling books with the X-Men number one and X-Force number one. They came to us. They asked us to, uh, reboot this. We negotiated a deal. That was very, uh, beneficial to myself and Jim and, and, and everything that we had planned and all the teams that we, uh, brought on. But it was also very threatening to everybody in New York City, New York City, Manhattan, where if you've ever been to Marvel and I have been there in the eighties, in the nineties and in the two thousands, the offices are crammed with hardworking people who love comics. They aren't paid a whole lot of money to uh, guide and shape those comics from their editorial desks, but they do as best as they possibly can because they love comic books. And this threatened their livelihoods and their love because had Heroes Reborn been the success that it was um, intended to be across the board, then we would be in a very different world uh, as in regards to Marvel Comics and where I left off. In case you need a refresher, because it's been a few days, right? Uh, where we left off with Heroes Reborn Part 3 
was Jim Lee had put him in a position behind the scenes, unbeknownst to myself and many, many others, especially at Marvel Comics, to run Marvel Comics. They were going to relocate Marvel Comics to La Jolla. La Jolla, California, Jim had some really Tony, really uh, Zhuzhi um, offices, cliffside, uh, beautiful, beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, La Jolla is just a beautiful residence and Jim lived nearby. He created these really part art deco, part modern uh, facilities that he ran his Wildstorm imprint out of. Jim uh, had taken this opportunity to make Heroes Reborn and had seized upon the openings that he saw to uh, put himself in a position to take over the company, run all of Marvel, and Wildstorm would then have been em em embraced and uh, and absorbed into Marvel as one of their labels, which would quite possibly have been given the same fate as when Jim went to DC, the label kind of got sidelined. That's the politest way we can put it, those, those books um, immediately took on a lack of importance because at no time will the Wildstorm catalog be more important than Wolverine or Batman or Superman or Spider-Man. That is the, uh, we, we've seen it. I don't need to inform you of it. The, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, the reality of the last 20 years since Jim sold Wildstorm to DC, which is, is connected to all of this. The failure to uh, take over Marvel Comics in the aggressive manner that he had uh, kind of done his workaround, knocked Jim back and uh, set him on the course that he would eventually sell Wildstorm to DC Comics. That is part of history that occurred in 1998 that did not occur overnight. Those talks were in place and Jim was on the block selling Wildstorm as early as late 1996 because I was selling interest in my company as well. And in case you are wondering what was driving all of that, because I have left a key component out of that, Valiant Comics had sold to a video game uh, company, a publisher named Acclaim. And Acclaim had paid them, everyone heard, somewhere between $20, $30 million, big number, and that set off the uh, let's sell our companies wars. Certainly there was interest out there. I myself had been wined and dined for extreme uh, I stood, I sat in front of a table of 15 representatives from DreamWorks. And Steven Spielberg informed everyone that he wants to, he literally he stood up and he goes, just so everyone's clear, I want to buy Rob's company. I want Rob to come and be a part of our vision here. Now, what then happens is dollars and cents go into motion. My attorneys, their attorneys, uh, suffice to say, uh, my DreamWorks deal did not work out. My attorney did not believe that it was a, a financially a good deal for me. I listened to my attorneys. They always had my back. It would have been great to have been absorbed into uh, a company like DreamWorks at the time, but it was not to be. I was comfortable not moving forward with it. Uh, shortly thereafter, New Line Cinema uh, made the most aggressive, possibly the best offer I would ever see in regards to buying my company, but there was lots of back doors and traps. And once the sale was done and I had to project out five years of sales, whatever percentage of sales that I fell short on would be gobbled up in the remaining interest of my company. And so rather than buying a percentage of my company, it was almost a complete buyout, which would have changed the number. And if I'm boring you, I it, it, this is how twisty and crazy this stuff goes. I ended up turning that down as well. The reason I tell you this, I am up in Hollywood. I am in, in Los Angeles. I am in the Valley. I am in these big suites of these big movers and shakers discussing the terms with which they will purchase, buy, run my companies, the, the financial uh, dealings and, and deferments, all sorts of stuff. This is all going on in 1996, 1997, 1998, um, 1995, as early as 95 for myself. And so I would meet many of the same the sale of Wildstorm, because you're like, how do you know all of this business of Jim Lee's? We were big time players in the business on this front, in this field. And the thing is that uh, so much of what 
was going down around town would travel to both parties. And so I was often called, let's say I didn't go with two different, uh, you know, interested parties. And, and again, there were some people who would be, look, we want to buy you all for stock, take a leap, um, you know, on our back end. There were all sorts of uh, opportunities, uh, situations like that that I passed on. So, 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 so there were small opportunities. They were big opportunities, none bigger than the Spielberg DreamWorks and the New Line Cinema. Now, because I didn't go down that road, I would also be getting calls on, hey, we are looking at Jim Lee's Wildstorm. What do you think of this? Can you advise us on this? You seem to know comics. So um, it was always fun getting those calls and being an advisor on someone else's deals. I always prided myself on giving them the most accurate uh, viewpoint. I would always know when I go in to sell any company that I was a part of that I was only trying to show them my positives as much as possible. And you try and downplay anything uh, that is seen as a negative and you try and hide it. So, of course, you know when you leave, they're going to do their due diligence on you. They're going to call. They're going to follow up. And sometimes I was part of due diligence calls in regards to Wildstorm. So that answers any question you may have. In my phone would ring and this stuff would come to me. I didn't go looking for any of this stuff. So much of what you're going to hear now and in the future is stuff that just landed on my doorstep in the most hilarious fashion where I would be put in an unexpected advisory role to someone who I had done business with before. And it's a good reminder to just treat everybody as best you possibly can. I knew, for instance, that some former employees of mine had put at a soured a company that I had been in discussions with and after the first meeting and realizing that that kind of had infected everything that I was in uh, discussions with, and it's not a company I've mentioned as yet, I realized, look, I'm not going to go down this road. I've got enemies on the inside. It's not worth the time and the effort trying to convince this guy who's already been reached to, to, to change their minds. I prided myself on trying to be as honest as possible. I want to give you the information that if you seek it out and you source it, it's going to line up with what I told you. Um, and, and, and then you're going to think better of me because I, I want to give you the honest, you know, the honest breakdown. Now, that's in regards to what happened with, with Jim selling his company and he was on the prowl to be purchased, absorbed as early as 96. And there were all sorts of reasons for this. Some of that is that in, increasingly um, uh, daunting overhead from La Jolla, California. And some of it is the uh, salaries that you're paying everybody. I mean, that also falls into overhead, not just the rent and the lease. Also, sometimes you can finance something that gets you in over your head. There was a Gen 13 cartoon. This will come up later. This was the source of many phone calls. And I kept bumping into this Gen 13 cartoon all along the way. Um, I'll just go. I mean, right now, we shared an agent. Jim and I shared an agent. My agent's name was John Levin. John Levin, who, by the way, uh, I'll come back to him at the end because he definitely uh, put a lot of this Heroes Reborn stuff in perspective for me some 20 years later. But John Levin rings me up one day. Rob, Rob, is how you talk. Rob, Rob, have you, have, you, have, you, have you talked to Jim? Have you talked to Jim? I can't reach him. Have you seen Jim? Have you talked to him? This is Hollywood speak. I said, John, I haven't. I haven't talked to Jim in a while. Oh, Rob, he's, he's, he's drowning. The, 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 the budget on this Gen 13, it, it's killing him. We, we told him, don't spend your own money. Now, truth be told, CAA would give you, they gave it to me. This is the agency they were at. One time, three agents took me in and they said, Rob, do you want to be Spiel Steven Spielberg or do you want to be George Lucas? And I'm like, huh? I didn't really understand. Can I be both? No. They were talking about financially. They said, George raises his own money and spends his own money. Spielberg gets everybody to spend money on him. Steven will sit down and make certain that someone is investing the money that he needs into something he wants to do on his behalf, but he will not put a dime of his own money in. This is CAA telling me this in the 90s, whereas George uses all his own money because he wants to be independent and have his own controls. Okay, that is definitely two really good examples of two different approaches. And uh, so John Levin was telling me, oh my gosh, this, this thing is, it's, it's in... The red ink is everywhere. It's, it's drowning. I said, John, thanks. I, I don't really know anything about this. Ah, well, if you, if, if you, if, if you can hear from him, call him. That's what I mean when I said stuff would fall on my doorstep. Okay. Later on, 
when I was pitching movies, I would meet people at Disney involved in the complete shutdown and shelving of said Gen 13 film, which is why it never was released. But that is a budget and money that was, you know, millions of dollars tied up in production of a, of a movie that was never produced. This will put you listening, just like me, just like him, in a tight spot. It, that, 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 that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of investment. And it can uh, really tighten your sphincter. Okay. Now, all this stuff is 22 two decades or so in the past. It defines kind of what's to come during this period, but it's way in the rearview mirror. It's just stories at this point. It's just stuff that maybe moved somebody from one position to another. I believe, upon finding out from Jeff Loeb and Larry Martyr, that Jim Lee was about to assume the uh, position of running Marvel Comics, and it was going to be located in La Jolla in a refresher. Ron Perlman is a billionaire, or at least that's what you would read. You always read these billionaires that they're not billionaires on paper. Okay. Ron Perlman was a billionaire because he had consumed so much debt. And, and his version of the Gen 13 movie was Fleer, Toy Biz, Panini, Heroes World Distribution, Marvel Animation. He had assumed so many companies. And so much debt that it, it became untenable. He couldn't run the company at a, at a, at a positive, uh, cash flow. He went into bankruptcy reorganization and Marvel would stay there for the better part of three and a half years. So during this time, you know, uh, he was in the process of fighting to keep Marvel and, uh, Ron Perlman was a big time business guy and it became in, in, in where I live in Southern California in Los Angeles, the battle to keep Marvel from 1997 to, you know, 2000 was front page business section, sometimes front tape, front page entertainment section, sometimes just front page period. This was exciting. Would he lose control of Marvel? I'll just get to the chase. Yes, he would lose control of Marvel. The man who has it now, Ike Permutter, who sold it to Disney, but is a the largest Disney shareholder. So Disney now owns Marvel, but he was only able to sell it because he got it out from under Ron Perlman in this giant calamitous clash of billionaires that was going on. And there were other billionaires, all of whom were trying to wrest control of Marvel. Do I believe that played to the withdrawal from Jim running the company? I do. All I know is that Jeff Loeb thought that Jim Lee was going to be his new boss. You could see it in his face. You could hear it in his voice. He thought, oh my gosh, Ron Perlman has been to La Jolla, has flown out, has um, has toured the studios, and is preparing for Marvel to move in. And they were going to run Marvel from the West Coast with Jim as, I don't know, publisher? I'm assuming publisher, maybe a bigger title. But I learned of this as I was producing my fourth or fifth issues of uh, Captain America, and this had been going on for weeks and months. This kind of stuff does not happen overnight. Our contracts alone for Heroes Reborn had taken the better part of 14 months. Those contracts were negotiation back and forth. And look, it's it's that they don't like the position you're at, so they're not going to respond to you for three months. Then when they do, you're going to give them your adjusted position or you're going to reinforce your position and then they're going to reevaluate their response to you. This is how this big business stuff takes play. This is how it took play at this time. I don't believe things move faster today. I have business dealings right now with Hollywood players, um, um, Silicon Valley players, and everyone is saying, especially you are living, you are listening to this in a very weird time in 2020 and things are slowing down. They are moving as slow as they've ever been very few deals are moving fast. There is no impetus for them to move fast. And so each, each party wants the terms on, on as close to the level as they prefer. And so this is what, you know, uh, provides these lengthy, lengthy back and forth in terms of negotiation. So with Heroes Reborn, I don't know when Jim had decided that Relaunching these titles gave him an opening to try and uh, run Marvel. But look, I admire him. Good for him. At this point, I am, you know, already been informed uh, that, that Marvel wants to renegotiate my contract 
uh, and and change the structure that I had spent 14 months agreeing to. Well, I have uh, shared with you that that was not an option for me. I had already agreed to certain payment platforms with other talent that were going to come on and follow me on, uh, on on Captain America and Avengers. And I felt like I didn't want to let those people down. I didn't want to go to them. And then there's nothing more defeating than saying, hey, buddy, I agreed to pay you this much. But now because of this, I have to pay you this much. It's defeating. I felt like there was another opportunity to change the scenery, to shift gear. This is where we will get into Fighting American eventually, which is a another patriotic character created by Simon, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And, he, and that becomes an entire saga of its own. It's, it's very exciting. It's another, like, this, this, this roller coaster ride just refused to end. So it's very strange. But, but this is how things continued to, um, to kind of, to kind of evolve once it was clear that I would not be finishing beyond the six issues. The reason I put Dan Frega, because you listened to the last issue, you heard that, um, one of the guys in my studio was game to take the discs of our final issues. The issue sixes would be my, last contributions to Heroes Reborn, I had Dan Frega jump on a flight. He was game. He thought, I'll do it. It was kind of put out there. Does anybody want to do this? Dan was more than game to jump on the plane and fly there and deliver the discs per our, uh, our, our, our terms, which were, now you give us the check. Because look, again, they're in bankruptcy. When the, those issue sixes, so Cap and Avengers launched in September. So in December, you're getting your issue fours, January, your issue fives. And in, um, you know, February, you're going to get the issue sixes. So I am sending Dan on a flight in January. They have already filed for bankruptcy. Things are weird. They are, uh, they've got creditors in line that they have to pay. There are layoffs at Marvel. People are losing their jobs. Um, different aspects of the company are being shut down or, or reduced. So, hey, man. I've done this. I just want to get paid and put this behind me. And I do not want to be told the check is in the mail. So I paid for Dan to fly to New York City to deliver these in person until they gave us the check upon which he would then go put the check in the bank from our end in Southern California. We would see, yes, I'm smiling ear to ear because this was crazy, but we did it. Uh, see that the money went through and then Dan would physically hand over the discs. There were no uploads. There were no websites you uploaded to. You handed in at this point discs. Those discs would be read by their computers, cleared and sent to the printer to print. Okay. And we ran the clock down about as much as you could, given that, again, these books were bringing in a good amount of money and issue six of Captain America had cable in it. It had, uh, my beautiful time traveling mutant, uh, as a guest star alongside Captain America and, and Ricky Barnes, who we will dwell on here in a second. And, uh, so th th those had extra sales oomph to them. So, so they definitely, you know, Marvel is in bankruptcy. They need their cash flow to be positive. They need this money coming back on orders that have gone out. They don't want this to be derailed. So it was in their best interest to give me my final payouts and let me be. If this speaks to an utter lack of trust that I have at this time, it, it, it does. It took, you know, 14 months to, re to negotiate the contract and within six to seven months, a complete lack of trust. I didn't trust these guys. None of the people who had hired me were, were there anymore. The, the people that had hired Jim and myself were gone. And it is at this time in the January uh, to February window that Jim is no longer going to be uh, helming the company. Uh, Bill Jemis, and from what I understand, a man named Dan Buckley, both who worked in the trading card business, who were doing Marvel trading cards, had an, had access to the ears and the eyes on the side of these deals and the projected sales that were already coming across the board and going forward with the people that Jim informed them they would be taking over the books from me. It was easy to speculate and to um, project out the, the disappointing sales that would follow. And based on those disappointing sales, Bill Jemis said, why are we letting this guy who we gave this giant contract, this is Jim, why would we give this guy control of everything when his oversight of these books has gone in to very disappointing sales levels? See, again, the conversation would change if I had a chapter seven on any of these books. But I told you from the outset, my story was finite. 
I wanted to get that story, tell that story, and get out of that story. The Avengers could have continued. I was actually going to jump on Avengers after Cap. Stephen Platt was going to take over Cap. None of it really matters anymore because none of it came to pass because, again, with the new um, executives coming into power, representing the replacing the executives that had hired us, those guys were part of the uh, change in direction. They did not negotiate Heroes Reborn. They were not invested in Heroes Reborn. In fact, now, as is often the case, and there's a little bit of a pivot in Hollywood, if you have a movie... and it's got some talent attached, and a new president is installed. The new president wants to come in and make everything his projects. If your second draft on your promising project that was bought two years prior under the existing president is, is coming in and, and, and people are excited about it, that is not going to necessarily translate unless it's got the top draw in the movie business with it to the new guy who's going to come in and want to show to his bosses and to his company that his vision matters. And in this case, pivoting back to comics, these new guys did not negotiate Heroes Reborn. They had no emotional or business investment in it. They saw it as a problem, as something that was upsetting the home offices. And in fact, several of them did rise up to squelch this idea that Jim would assume control of the company. Were Jim's uh, poor choices on Heroes Reborn coming back to follow him. Yes, they were. And when I mean poor choices, do not take this in a, a insulting manner, but I, I grabbed the Heroes Reborn omnibus. And, and again, as you're listening to this, my Captain America uh, and Avengers have been reprinted a grand total of five times. A couple of trade paperbacks uh, and two omnibuses, okay? Uh, and a hardcover. So guys, this is, uh, I got a sequel. We haven't gotten to where 10 years later I am asked to do the sequel to Heroes Reborn. Heroes Reborn resonated when everything uh, settled. The books that were part of the initial run were favorites among the fans. Many of you over these last few weeks listening to these podcasts have told me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, how much you love these books. And I will tell you a story that the current publisher of Image Comics, and he was my uh, de facto EIC, my editor-in-chief at Extreme, super talented writer. We did, not only did he edit my books, we, he wrote Youngblood, he scripted Youngblood over my stories. Eric Stevenson is a ridiculously talented writer in his own right. He was the publisher. He told me a story uh, as the issues sevens and eights of the now all Wildstorm produced Heroes Reborn books were being released into the public. He was at a function with his wife who she was a teacher and there was a uh, a function where all the teachers and their um, husbands and wives were getting together and Eric was just kind of, he didn't know all these people. These are his wife's, uh, uh, you know, professional peers and, and he's doing what any good spouse does, you know, walk around. Make, make small talk. A couple guys asked him, gentleman, one gentleman in particular asked Eric what he did. He told him what he did. He told him he edited books. He told him the books he edited. And the guy who Eric did not know, had no investment in, this is some business teacher's function for his wife, says to Eric, oh man, I was totally into those books. And then they changed creative teams and yeah, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not following those books anymore. They're, they're not special. They're not the teams I signed on to. And Eric goes, I work with Rob Liefeld. Like when he said, I do, you know, Captain America, Avengers, you know, this guy then expressed to him, wow, I'm gone, I'm out. So many of you guys have shared the equivalent of that story. When Eric came in uh, to work that following Monday, he told me that story. He was shocked that the story even unfolded in the manner that it did, that this stranger he did not know expressed this disappointment. But you got to believe that was happening all across uh, the country. A lot of interest and energy went into Heroes Reborn. And so many of you have uh, enjoyed my sharing with you. Again, I, I read to you the letter from the publisher at the time of Heroes Reborn having disappointing sales in the 200,000s on issues three and four. And again, those are 10 times the sales 
that the books were achieving before they were handed to me and you were already in a, a basically what they call a settling zone. The, the numbers were settling. Okay, so these books are selling in the direct market and in the newsstand in the 200,000 range when they were selling in, I mean, let, let's, let's be generous and say they were in the 30,000 range, between the 25,000 and 30 range before Heroes Reborn. So I always, um, you know, was so entertained and so many people actually at Marvel and Image are shocked that I have all this data, these letters, these memos. I got it all, people. I got it all. I threw nothing away. They are in containers and boxes and file cabinets, and I have all of it. And so much of it I came across because I was in talks with Netflix to sell my library a few years back, and part of that I had to get out every agreement I ever signed. And so I went and revisited all of this, taking the lids off these old filing boxes, and, and and took 35 boxes out of storage and rifled through every single one of them, looking at, at different deal memos, uh, different pay stubs, different contracts, all of the Marvel stuff, all of the correspondence. And that's why so much, so much of it is fresh to me. And again, Marvel re-released Captain America Heroes Reborn last week. That's why we're talking to this, about this. I got it. I'm like, this is uh, the fifth time this book has been released. This is the fifth time they have gone back to promote this. So why not talk about it? It's something that is an exciting time. And so many of you have responded to how uh, compelling this is. And it is because it's got the business side. You've got elements of Image Comics, elements of Marvel Comics um, that are that are choosing to work together. And then there's this conspiratorial behind the, behind the scenes. Jim trying to circumvent everything, seeing the weakness of Marvel as an opening for him to run it. I mean, this is thrilling. It's so exciting. But as I have told you, I was all about just getting the job done and getting the work done. And this really uh, set me on a path that restored me to the love of knowing that, that it's me and that board. And I love telling comics, drawing comics, telling stories, uh, producing them. I'm not an executive. I have no problem not being an executive. I may still sell my catalog of characters someday to a media partner, but that will not be me acting in an executive capacity. Uh, you know, whether it's Robert Kirkman and The Walking Dead or George R.R. R. Martin and, 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 you know, Songs of Fire and Ice, Game, Game of Thrones, um, you know, the creators can then be involved in a, uh, producerial or a, uh, you know, um, advisory capacity, but I don't really want to run a company. That's, that's something I learned at extreme. Like I said, I threw a fun clubhouse atmosphere. I made sure people got paid and paid well, but, uh, chasing and making executive moves, making mogul moves is not my thing. And I like just operating on my own, waking up every day, filling up uh, a page of paper on my drawing board. That's kind of that's that's what I did. That's what I like doing. That's what I was doing on Captain America. I would not budge. I did not have guest stars. My issues one through five is my cast and my cast alone. I have been looking through this Heroes Reborn omnibus. And when I say the poor decisions made by Jim came back to haunt him, these books were then picked up. He may be the sweetest guy uh, on the planet. I may hear from him when I say his name, but a guy named Mike Ryan teamed with Walt Simonson, who decided to write the back end of Avengers. These books were now not no longer um, heading towards anything special. In fact, they were just either treading water or in the process of shutting down. That's your back six on all the Heroes Reborn books. Because by the time you're getting them in your hands in February, all of these, all of the wrap-up decisions have been made. The time of which Jim was going to assert his control and take over Marvel was late 1996, early 1997. Guys like Dan Buckley, guys like Bill Jemis rallied. They got the numbers. They used the negatives. They they used the, uh, look at what the, we paid these guys. Did we really get the return? I will tell you that one time when we were doing the dealings, after actually, act, after we did the dealings, and maybe it was even uh, approached one time when we went and made the actual announcement of Heroes Reborn at the press conference with Stan Lee and all the fanfare, Jim, like under his breath, said to me, you know, I think they think these books are going to sell a million each. And there's no way that's going to happen. And he's right. Nothing had sold a million since 1991. Spider-Man, 
broke the barrier at 3 million. X-Force truly defied all expectations by selling 5 million. Again, I have told you many times, Todd McFarlane told me, but it's an X-Force. Like, I would ask him, Todd, what do you think I'm going to sell? Do you think I can get Spider-Man numbers? Oh, bud, bud, what's an X-Force? Uh, you'll you, you, you'll be lucky to do a mill. Uh, 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 if you do a mill, I, I pat yourself on the back. Cable, Deadpool, the boys got you to the dance. Uh, a mill would be good, but uh, Spider-Man numbers? He had been one of many people who told me to calm down in terms of my expectations. X-Force sold 5 million copies. It's the number two best-selling comic of all time. Do I love saying it? I do. Are you thinking, man, he sure does love saying it. You, you're right. You are hearing this correctly. Jim sold 7 million. And then nothing from Marvel would sell a million following that. They they thought that they could put acetate covers and die cut covers and foil covers and and and, and uh, hologram covers and get those numbers up. They didn't. Uh, they, that 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 was Spider Man X Force X Men is this weird trajectory of people following the talent, and we would shift all of that to image where they would follow, continue to follow the talent, not the gimmicks. Gimmicks were great. They got eyeballs. They did get numbers. But the idea that Heroes Reborn and that expectation that, that I had never considered, I'm just like, I'm just looking, you just want us to take these books that are selling 20 to 30,000 and have them sell more. So we belabored a lot of these points, but, but, but the last time episode three was such, I just, I, I was driving that train and I kept wanting to get as much in as I possibly could that we, there needed to be kind of a reflection and a discussion of kind of slow the pace down, reflect everything that happened. And so at this point, when you get these back six in your hand, when you get seven, eight, nine, the deal's over. There is no second year on Heroes Reborn. New York has won. New York valiantly uh, won back the faith of their bosses, of their new bosses, of the Scott Sassa, of the Cheryl Rhodes, um, Bill Jemis, the, 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 the other departments that did business with Marvel stepped in to say, don't let this happen. Now, um, only Ron Perlman and his number crunchers know why that didn't happen, but I know that part of the Wildstorm discussion from both speaking to Jeff Loeb and in my discussions, both past, present with Larry Martyr, was the idea that if they could get out of that New York lease, Manhattan real estate is expensive, even as expensive as La Jolla um, uh, real estate lease, uh, even expanding that office, they'd be saving, from what I understood, between 45 and 50% of their operating budget, they would also be firing so many of those people, some of which who would, of course, have been had the opportunity to relocate to La Jolla from New York. Now, does this sound familiar to something that happened with DC when people knew, moved from New York to Burbank? It should, because it absolutely happened, and, and Jim Lee was at the center of that as well. When these people at New York have to move, it is traumatic. They don't want to, they've lived there their whole lives. Um, look, a guy, I follow him on Twitter. We're not friends. Tom Brevoort will always talk about taking the train in, taking the train out, catching the late train, catching the early train. They live in the suburbs of where they grew up. Uh, they have known the East Coast existence for years and years, just like I have known an Orange County existence. You love where you live. Um, I'm uh, New York and, and it's all of its surrounding boroughs are wonderful. They're, uh, you know, have I been to all of them? No, but have I been to Connecticut and Long Island and, and have I been to Brooklyn and have I been to the Bronx? All of it in my lifetime up to this point. And it is a great, the people who live there love it and they love it for a reason. So whether it's 1996 asking them to move to La Jolla, you can expect th that only a small portion of people would have gone there. Uh, and then you already have an existing staff and Marvel would have been run from that existing staff. And maybe, you know, some image people that would have jumped with Jim, because let me tell you something, Jim would not have been with image, image Wildstorm becoming a subsidiary and absorbed label of Marvel at that time would have removed Jim even earlier than the 1998 sale to DC. So again, um, this all went south in regards to the planning that Jim had been doing. Um, I was no longer a part of it the minute I handed in my six issues because uh, again, I saw this as an opportunity, tell some fun stories, and there was no renegotiation for me. The minute they broke the contract, 
Um, cause even I've, I've had even family members who happened to listen, listen to this podcast say, why didn't you do the back six? I said, it wasn't the money. It was a lack of control. Everything had shifted. I had new bosses that I didn't know that I didn't particularly like. And if I can just finish the stories I told, I can get on to tell other stories I want to tell because you guys know if you're listening and you're creative and right now you're writing or you're drawing or you're on a break from writing or drawing or coloring or inking, whatever, your creative urges kind of dictate so much of what makes you, you. And for me, I have always followed the muse of storytelling. I have followed where the story takes me, where I want the story to take me. And I can't be held down uh, creatively working with people who don't have my best interests. And at this point, this new regime, it was moving fast. It was moving um, very aggressively to erase the dealings that we had done. I'm lucky that I even got those six ish, those six issues out. Let's let, let me be perfectly honest. Given all of the cloak and dagger putting Dan on a plane, they could have said, "Nah, we're tossing these." You ended with five. We're going forward. Actually, we've already got people drawing the sixes in the way that we want them to go. All of that could have occurred. It broke my way in in, and I was fortunate as a result. And I have again been collecting these new Heroes Reborn collections. Every single one that comes out. I mean, two Heroes Reborn omnibuses. These things are hundreds of dollars, by the way. I mean, you can get them on discount, I guess, for 80, 90 bucks if you get them at the right time on, on Amazon. But, but these books, uh, these are big, fat collections that are expensive. I mean, they're, 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 they're heavy. They're enormous. They're oversized. And, uh, I love how many times these books have been collected. And so my deal with Heroes Reborn was never one of a business. Uh, approach. It was, it was a creative approach. When I look at the books that Jim did, and, and I need to discuss those because they need, they, they deserve to see the light of day, right? The Fantastic Four work, it's interesting. Nobody holds that work, that body of work that Jim did up as a, you don't hear about it. It's, it's weird. You don't hear about it. You hear about X-Men, you hear about Batman. Those, those on the undercard, maybe Wildcats, and then below that, Fantastic Four. And I don't know why, because there's some really good work in here. Jim, I don't think Jim ever got his footing with the Fantastic Four with Sue Reed and Ben. Maybe the most he did uh, was was Johnny. I think he did a really good um, Human Torch. But for me, the thing, uh, the top contenders are still Jack Kirby, John Byrne, maybe Barry Windsor Smith in there. Um, um, certainly, those are, are 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 the best visualizations of the thing. Um, again, uh, Jack and and John Byrne are my favorites with Reed and with Sue. But I'll tell you where Jim shined was Mole Man and, uh, you know, Dr. Doom and, and, uh, all of the villains that he got to, uh, draw as a result of depicting Fantastic Four. And it's very well done. As a matter of fact, there is a shot, maybe the best picture depiction of Prince Namor that, um, has been, you know, depicted in the last 30 years is in this splash page where Jim has Namor on his throne underseas in turmoil. He's angsty. It's, it's such an iconic, beautiful, defining shot. Um, you know, do I think John Buscema when he did Submariner was the definitive Submariner Prince Namor artist? I do. But in the last 30 years, has there been a shot of Namor better than this? No, not a chance. Um, Jim had some great visuals in here. I've often wondered if there was less, um, work for him to siphon from because Jim, Jim draws strength when there are greater, uh, sources to siphon case in point, the X-Men, when he got on the X-Men, there was a catalog of books that no doubt he had studied and looked at. And, and I will tell you why I know what a good siphon he is. Aside from Wills Portacio, uh, his studio eight told me about Jim's magic siphon powers and Carl Allstetter, who was an assistant to Jim Lee has spoken of Jim's magic siphon powers. When you have a body of work by Neil Adams and John Byrne and Frank Miller and Paul Smith and Mark Silvestri and Art Adams and Rick Leonardi and, I mean, the list goes on, Jim Steranko, okay, uh, these are just a few of the glorious names that depicted the excellent George Perez did an annual. I mean, the, 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 the A-list of A-list illustrators illustrated the X-Men depicting them. Kevin Nolan, okay? The, the, when Jim has a strong body of reference, 
that he can see how everyone is depicted. Then his Cyclops may look like Neil Adams drew him. His Wolverine may look like Kevin Nolan and Barry Windsor Smith. He draws strength from that stuff. He's a siphon. He likes to mix it up. It's like a cocktail. And he draws strength from these great depictions. Similarly, Batman Hush. Batman Hush starts off really weird. Batman is heavy and chunky. He is doing Frank Miller's Batman. But by the middle of the run, he skinned... Batman has lost like 40, 50 pounds from his first Hush issue to uh, more of a Neil Adams body type. And Jeff Loeb had told me, especially in the Raz Asghul issue, that he was like, I need you to be thinking and looking and depicting as... Neil Adams, but Batman had Marshall Rogers, John Byrne, Frank Miller, David Mazzuccelli, Neil Adams. You know I mean, it, it is another who's who murderer's row of influences on Batman. Jim's work is always stronger if there is a great uh, series of um, um, examples of how best those uh, characters are depicted. Because what Jim does as a siphon is he only grabs the best depictions and those becomes become his depictions he can immediately go it's like a musician it's like it's like you, you 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 compose something in front of him and then he can go and compose it and 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 either make it rock harder or or make it more poppy and 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 with fantastic four you know it's jack kirby it's john Byrne at that point in regards to like who are you going to really sink your teeth into um but the stuff that he did that was the strongest, and this is my opinion, artist objective, this is my opinion. I, oh, I, I forgot to tell you, he came to my studio in 1992. I think Dan Frega, Marat Michaels, Richard Ori are witness to this. Jim sat down and said, I can draw like you. Me, Rob Liefeld. He's like, I can draw you like you. Watch, watch this. I, I, I can totally, I can, I can draw a figure just like you. And right there, with a quick work of the pencil and then with a ink tip marker, he drew a figure that was... Uh, short torso, long legs, tiny ankles, arm, the, the shoulders, the arms, the face. I literally was watching a Rob Liefeld drawing be drawn in front of me by Jim Lee. He is the power of the siphon. He can look at something, absorb its, prob its, its probabilities, and then immediately give you a version as seen through his Jim Lee filter. The reason that Wildcats is on nobody's favorite list is because Neil Adams, Paul Smith, Mark Silvestri, John Byrne, uh, Jim Steranko, uh, Frank Miller did not do a body of work on Wildcats. Wildcats was from himself. Um, what was, was sprang from Jim. There was no award winning fan favorite run that he could go in there and go, boom, uh, let's get Kazar and Zabu and let's get the Imperial Guard and mix and match. J Jim is a greatest hits mixology, uh, uh, mixer. Search your feelings. Young, young Padawan, you know this to be true. It is, it is something that he excels at on par with no one I've ever, ever seen in my entire life. And Fantastic Four is extremely, very good. Top flight Jim Lee work. Uh, I, I, having re revisited it for this, it is, uh, really nicely done. And I, I, again, I think Mole Man and Prince Namor and, uh, and, 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 uh, the, the, the Atlantean monsters. And then Doctor Doom, he does a hell of a Doctor Doom too. But the, but that Prince Namor is maybe one of the best Namors ever. Like it's freakishly, that splash page is outstanding. Iron Man was done by Wolf's Portacio. And if you were to ask me, gun to my head, Wolf's Portacio did the best Heroes Reborn work. That Iron Man is so signature, interesting. And I think Wills was out to strut and given his uh, platform, he wanted to show everybody exactly how good and how amazing that he is and was. I think Wills is after Mark Silvestri, the best of our peer group. He is by far the best illustrator all around. He can paint, he can draw, he can ink. I think Mark is the best illustrator. Pencil in your hand, you're never going to go wrong with the way Mark depicts anything. It's going to be beautiful, gorgeous, uh, posed just right, the right amount of energy. And Wills, with his mastery of shadows and musculature and, and the way he breaks down core shadows, and, and, and his unique rendering. Everybody was biting his rendering. I'm one of them. Jim bit his rendering. Wills Portacio established a style of rendering that the entire industry jumped on immediately. Wills is the author of that particular rendering. His Iron Man is gorgeous. I, when it came out, it blew me away. I think it was 
it, it was the underdog. It was the, the one no one saw coming. It was the best of all the books. That's my personal opinion. My personal opinion, Rob Liefeld, gun to my head. Iron Man was the best of the books from an illustrated standpoint, and his depiction of the Hulk was fantastic. This long-haired Hulk, something that we had never seen, and just enormous muscles, just the most muscular uh, version of the Hulk ever. I thought Wills knocked it out of the park. It is so brilliant and beautiful, and, and I, I, flipping through it again, I was stunned all over again. Bottom line, all of the first six issues are extremely well done, whether it's Jim, myself, uh, Wills. But the back six are treated with none of the same urgency. They aren't special. They fall right in line with kind of the, the middle of the road stuff that we were getting before. The Michael Ryan Avengers issues are 100% just, they're very basic. And uh, everything that follows Jim was mixing and matching a couple of his Wildstorm guys, Ryan Benjamin and and, and, uh, and Brett Booth on Fantastic Four and and uh, Iron Man. But here's the deal: you got to ask yourself when you are putting down your dollars to buy these books. Is that why you were buying them, or were you buying them because you were going to get some other Wildstorm guys, or were you buying them because they were going to have the Jim Lee and the Wolf's Protagio and the Rob Liefeld? Um, now I had a guy named Chap Yap, my strongest uh, guy in in, in position at my studio who I thought his time was come to shine and I just re-looked at his issues one, two, and three and they are gorgeous. Jeff Loeb brought in Ian Churchill to finish up and Ian uh, was, uh, I think, a special top flight talent. Stephen Platt was on deck to follow me. Stephen Platt, Platt was A-list. Um, you know, I mean, we were trying to deliver an A-list uh, experience. That's why I did the art in Avengers 1, the, the reason I did covers and I did the art in issue Four was to show you that I was I was there for this. I was present. I was invested. The back six of these books are not the strength of the series. I'm not telling you anything you do not know if you have experienced these books. Um, if you happen to grab them as a result of listening to this podcast and you decide that they are, please let me know that. I would love to know that. I, I feel like the first six of each one is is each of us showing a song is, is each of us showing as strong as we possibly can. I am super proud, as I said in episode two, episode three, I'm super proud of the work that I did. I love revisiting it. I, I, I own these books on Comixology. Uh, I, I have none of the original artwork left. I, I kept two pages for myself, but out, out of 200 pages, they've all been moved through the system. Um, th th this, this book, These books were incredibly well received by you, the fans who are reliving this with me now. And like the teacher that told Eric Stevenson at, at his wife's teacher function that He's out. These books aren't special anymore. Was was resonant around the world. Do I believe that there could have been a measure upon which that the books could have been handled in a better manner without the Cheryl Rhodes? While these two hundred thousand sales are impressive, they are not what we had hoped. And and but they are impressive. He he underscores again. But we need to change the deals. That wasn't for me. I. The people who hired me were gone. The control was gone. And again, unbeknownst to me, Jim is trying to run Marvel Comics. He is trying to get them to uh, give him whatever massive salary, uh, do a buyout, and uh, run the company. And I think that uh, I would have loved to have seen how that would have worked out. There, there would have been something, I'm certain, in there that would have been special. Uh, maybe somebody like a J. Scott Campbell would have taken a, a, a more prominent position uh, with Jim at Marvel uh, and been given maybe Spider-Man in 1997-98. I mean, you never know. I think there would have been one giant, uh, massive, major revisit. Jim perhaps could have drawn the X-Men, but none of that is known to me. This, that's me speculating. What I do know, because I can put bodies in the meetings, I can put Jeff Loeb, I can put Larry Martyr, um, I can put reports back to myself. And again, Jeff Loeb thought he was going to be working for Jim Lee. That is what he informed me. He was trying to get me to go along and continue to produce books under Jim if Jim were to take over. And that again, that is how the slip-up occurred, is that I felt like things were falling apart. The new bosses were coming on board. The bankruptcy was in motion. And when again, you just cannot underscore when a company goes into bankruptcy, they are cutting costs. Okay. And so they are looking to um, 
you know, shed as much cost as possible. And this was happening across the board for Marvel. It would affect the way they covered the, colored their books. If there's one thing that you go, that you get out of this, is it would affect the way they colored their books for the next three years. They had to get the cheapest, uh, they had to get the cheapest uh, color house available in the world. And, 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 and from what I understood, this place was in Ireland. They called them the Irishmen. And, and they, they, they colored, I think, for $20 a page, some obscenely low rate, but Marvel had to give them something like 200, 300 pages every month. So if you were on a certain title, you did not get, get your favorite colors to color for you. I ran into this when I came back a few years later and plugged in some holes for them on cable and Wolverine. And I knowing that, knowing this, I made sure that I was in the margin that could be outside of the 300 pages. And that is literally why everything for almost three years at Marvel looked brown. The joke was everybody from the Irishmen, they loved the color brown, default brown. Everything had a brown and a yellow tint to it. If you go back and you look at your books uh, um, from from 97 through 99, 2000, these books, for the most part, were skewed a certain tone, a, skew, a certain tint, and that is because you had a bunch of cheap labor in Ireland producing these books for you. Um, and if you were lucky enough to be in that small margin, that few hundred pages that could get a really, you know, um, a preferred colors that you liked, well then you counted yourself fortunate and you did not want to fall into those, oh my gosh, I'm going to Ireland to be coloring by the Irishman. This was a joke. It was known industry-wide. It's why the books were brown there. You know that. It reminds me, both the end of Heroes Reborn and this coloring situation that Marvel would find itself in the bankruptcy, both of these things remind me of the scene from Armageddon, from Armageddon, okay, uh, where Steve Buscemi is strapping in and they are about to take off and he says, hey, don't you feel great? Something long, this is not exact wording, but this is the idea of what he says. We're about to take off and go on a trip to the moon in a ship that was bid, that, uh, in a ship that was constructed by the lowest bidder. And you don't know how true that is, but that was built by the lowest bidder all the time in construction. My friends, I have had friends that I went to high school with and my college age friends who got into construction and they always go and everyone is competing with their bids to build the new facility, to put air conditioning in the facility, to, uh, you know, redo all the ceilings. And, and what happens is three companies come in and you want to get the job. At the end of the day, you want to get the job and, and, and you want to stay that close. That bid needs to be as close to profitable for you, but you also need to be aware that there's other two guys and they're handing in bids and they may go under you. And the buyer is generally nine out of 10 times going for the cheapest bid. Okay. Heroes Reborn, the back six was, was produced, you know, by the cheapest bidder. The, the, the costs went down. Whatever Jim did, he was not, you know, spending the amount of money that was being spent on the original six to deliver you the back six. And those back six, as I said, were headed towards a landing uh, plane because by the summer of these books coming out, and now you're in the issues 9, 10, 11, 12s, okay? Heroes Return was on the way. They were coming back to Marvel. They were bringing back their... um Creative teams, none of which would outsell us, by the way, none of which would outsell us. Heroes Return was being uh, uh, celebrated, so everybody working on the Heroes Reborn books were now being told, your adventure is over, you're going to be absorbed back into Marvel, this pocket universe, which I always knew, kudos to Bob Harris of creating that gateway that would get them back. From day one, I went, oh, this isn't good, this signals an end. That no, no matter what, uh, seductive talks about a year two, whatever shape they took, I was always like, we're in a pocket universe and everybody in New York hates us. And I'm not sure this is going to go through. So when they're producing issues nine, 10, 11, 12, all of which are months before they get into your hands, they are already heading towards the end game. It's over. Heroes Reborn, uh, was a valiant idea. Now at the end of the day, let's talk about the legacy of Heroes Reborn. And I'm going to tell you right now, the thing that excites me is I actually managed to launch a legacy character. Her name is Rookie Barnes, my female Bucky. She became the heart and the soul of the character. Her brother was the one that was dragged into the neo-Nazi white supremacist group called the World Party that was uh, 
swayed by the empower empowerment and the speeches given by Masterman when he was in his Alexander the Great persona. Her brother is her entry into the story, how she meets up with Cap in the first place. And Ricky Barnes would come back in the sequel that I would do in 2006, 10 years later. And she would then enter the Marvel Universe shortly thereafter in a series of adventures and miniseries. She would guest star uh, in Captain America proper, the, the Captain America that is in the established Marvel Universe. And she would be uh, given uh, the lead in her own spinoff books and be part of other uh, groups. And so over the last 24 years, Ricky Barnes launched. She is, I believe, the only character from Heroes Reborn to have made it from the pocket universe inside the established Marvel Universe. And I am super proud of her. I think she's a great character. I look forward to many more years of seeing the female Bucky, Ricky Barnes, uh, do her thing in the Marvel Universe. She, she survived. She is a bit of the legacy, in my mind, on par with all of the other stuff that I created for Marvel, whether it was Cable or Deadpool or Domino or Shatterstar or Feral or Strife <laughs> or Forearm or the Externals, the, the High Lords, Gideon, all of it, all of it. I got a big, long, fat list of characters that I have um, contracts for with Marvel. Going back to 1991, those original deals that were presented to me, the reason I did it in the first place. And Ricky Barnes, when I flip through these books and I see that she, her story didn't end here, it continues. It's exciting. Again, I did a sequel. I did a sequel to Heroes Reborn. I told them, I won't do it. It's called Heroes Reborn. It has to be Onslaught Reborn, where all these characters actually get to fight Onslaught, which was the... Uh, driving force behind the pocket. It had ties to Franklin Richards. Oh man, what a bunch of fun. What a bunch of fun. So we have wrapped up much of what occurred um, during this period. This sent Jim uh, towards a, a fast track of selling his company um, for whatever contributing factors he would... Um, Again, I got a lot of those calls, a lot of people, hey, we're looking at this Wildstorm company, what do you know, uh, what, what, what can you say, um, man, they got this cartoon, it, they can't release it, 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 it it's, it's, uh, it's got millions of dollars on, on, on the spreadsheet, and uh, they, they were up against a pinch, up, up in a tight place, and eventually there were no media companies at the time, sexy media or tech companies available, and Paul Levitz and Jim Lee signed a deal where... Jim Lee has found himself for the better part of now two decades, maybe it's 22 years, and that is absolutely a personal legacy. Part of Heroes Reborn set him on that course, and whatever occurred between Ron Perlman, who eventually lost Marvel, and Jim that 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 that, that made it so that Marvel did not absorb Wildstorm, did not relocate to La Jolla, it wasn't for a lack of trying. There was a tour of the La Jolla facilities, uh, as I've mentioned, Larry Martyr, the publisher of Image Comics at the time, was on a red eye with Jim Lee to New York. They went to uh, uh, Perlman's place uh, in, 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 in New York City and had a day of planning and, and financial structure and ideas being tossed around and costs. All of that stuff. It happened. Now you know. Exciting times. What ifs are fun. They are fun. What if this happened? What if this happened? It's fun to dance and to uh, discuss all of the possibilities, I uh, have not gotten to what we are going to call the next time the perks of Heroes Reborn. Because as part of Heroes Reborn, part of the negotiations, and some of you are like, I was waiting for him to get there. I was waiting for him to get to this. No, I'm not talking about the Heroes Reborn trading card set and all the other kind of other properties that were involved in, in getting those out. I am talking about the uh, Marvel Image or really Marvel Extreme and Wildstorm crossovers. You got Profit Cable. You got X Force Youngblood. You got Spider Man Bad Rock. You got Wolverine Bad Rock. You got, uh, you, you, you got, um, Spider Man, uh, and, 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 and Backlash. And you got X Men Wildcats. You got a ton of really cool crossovers that, that literally are about 12 books on its own. And those were big deals. And let me tell you something. Those were massive sellers. And that is going to be the next time that we jam together, we are going to discuss the perks, 
the perks of Heroes Reborn, the perks episode. Um, the, the, those books represented so much fun and gave guys in my studio the ability to jam on Spider-Man and Venom and Green Goblin and the Savage Land without like having to answer to Marvel. Again, those were part of our overarching uh, uh, contracts. I got to put Youngblood alongside Cable. More importantly, I got to draw Cable and Prophet knocking heads and Kang the Conqueror, my favorite Marvel villain. So um, we are going to wrap the, the this portion of Heroes Reborn up in two parts. We are going to do an autopsy. We are going to do a, a round table where we discuss Heroes Reborn and all that occurred and maybe some of the things that I missed. Jimmy J is going to come on and conduct that. It's going to be like a question and answer. If you have some questions you want to send me over online, let me know. And then in addition to, we are going to cover, cover Heroes Reborn, the perks, all the crossovers, Spider-Man, Bad Rock, Wolverine, Bad Rock, Cable, Prophet, all of it coming up next time. Thank you for your time. Always for listening to Rob's observations with me. I am on social media. I am at Twitter at Robert Liefeld, the full name with the blue check. That's really me. That's how you know. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Again, the blue check, it, it, it helps you differentiate between the imposter accounts. So follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Talk to me. Continue to give me feedback. Thank you for so, for, for just all the great feedback that you have given the Rob observations episodes. I am so grateful to you guys. Thank you. As always, please stay safe. Please take care of yourself. And we will talk again soon. Thank you.